the people that want to be a part of this journey knows like Alicia in her mind right now comes first because it takes everything for me to be at my best self. Hello, hello, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 262 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride towards your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode 262, I am chatting with Alicia Newman. She is an Olympic pole vaulter, the first pole vaulter we have ever had on the show. She's a five-time All-American and record holder. She's also a two-time Olympian. And man, what a conversation this is. In today's episode, Alicia gets really vulnerable about the 2021 accident that left her with a concussion that changed everything. She opens up about the difficulty of coming back from that, the difference between trying to work to repair the damage versus just navigating the side effects, masking it with different medications that she didn't want to be on. And then the life-changing doctor that truly enabled her and empowered her to have an epic comeback in sport. For those that don't know much about pole vaulting, essentially, Alicia powers down a 40-meter track carrying a 15-foot stick sprinting and then slams that stick into rubber for takeoff, (laughs) which means that it requires a ton of athleticism. And she talks about why she decided to get into this sport in the first place, a background in gymnastics, which is undeniable if you ever see her exercising her craft. Alicia and I talk about some of the different tools that she uses to level up in her sport, especially as she heads into Paris 2024, including a hyperbaric chamber, as well as her more recent decision to completely give up alcohol. And I can't forget our discussion on OnlyFans, plus the most interesting takeaway on how she manages her relationships and puts them into different buckets, depending on how much time she is capable of investing time, energy, mental capacity. Super, super interesting. Make sure if you're not doing so yet, you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It is at Hurdle Podcast. I myself am over at Emily Abadi. I'm personally so amped because I'm going to be hitting the road and will be in Budapest for world championships where Alicia will be doing her thing. It's the first of a few different trips I have coming up for work. And I'd love to answer your questions about travel, wellness, whatever you've got. So hit me with a voice message and I'll answer it on an upcoming episode on five minute Friday. The link to do that is in the show notes. I think that's all the housekeeping we have for today. With that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling.
Today, I am sitting down with Alicia Newman. She is an Olympic pole vaulter. How are you doing today, Alicia? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm excited to be here with you today, especially because uh, about a week ago now, you just won your fifth national title. You hit the Olympic standard championship record. How are we feeling? Yeah, I think it's like one of those things. It's like every four years you like think it's a long time. And then all of a sudden I'm now hit my third Olympic standard in God, that's 12 years now. So it's just mind blowing to me that, um, time goes by fast, but then it also goes by very slow when you're in it. So I don't know, life's been pretty awesome. I had kind of a rough start in my outdoor season, but kind of figured it out and excited heading into world championships in two weeks. So this is coming out just shy of a week before you're going to be getting after it in Budapest. Like you said, four years is a lot of time, but no time at all. How does it feel to be in your body at this moment? How are you feeling in your body? Yeah. So right now for me, it's like, I'm very, very happy and, and ecstatic to be where I'm at. It's always been something that it's hard to maintain such a high level of performance through a year. And a lot of people, I think for me, I underestimate myself. I mean, I, you know, you feel invincible when you're one of the best athletes of all time and, and you want to be at your best every single competitions, but when it's individual sports, that's just not what it is. Um, and I think that that's what makes a career so beautiful is being able to constantly feel motivated and getting back into it. And so I had a killer indoor season. I won the indoor world tour, um, jumped 478, which is a season's best at that time of year. Um, so I knew going into this outdoor season, I had these really high hopes in June June and halfway through July did not go as I wanted, like at all, like lower heights than I've ever jumped in my career, really. And just was kind of shocked on like, not that I wasn't physically there, just my equipment and my technical was not there. Um, so that the fact that I didn't like give up and I kept like pushing and kept showing up. And, you know, it's one of those things like you're kind of embarrassed when you're competing and you're not jumping well. So for me, to be able to keep showing up doesn't matter how high I jumped. I'm just very proud that I stuck with it because um, in the end, and again, I, I have very high hopes for world champs, but if it doesn't pan out the way I hope, um, I have Olympic standard and I have another year to get my shit, or get my shit figured out <laughs> so that I can be <laughs> for the Olympics is what's the big stages and, and our number, number one goal right now. Yeah. And I mean, you're no stranger to dealing with things not going as you'd hoped because of extenuating circumstances coming back from a really gnarly injury cycle leading into the last Olympics. Talk to us a little bit about your concussion before Tokyo. Yeah, it was shocking because people are like, oh, why'd you fall on, on the pole vault runway or hit one of the bars? And I said, no, I was literally stepping into a bathtub and they just didn't have, you know, one of those like um, squishy mats at the bottom. And I just lost my footing and went face first into the faucet, um, which at that time, it really, really hurt. So to be able to like, um, I woke up the next day and like knew like my head was shaken, but I never really took it serious. And I think it's because like, we never really talked about brain health. And in my life, brain health was a disease more. So when I was growing up, it was okay. Um, if you have something wrong with your thinking, or you're depressed, or your hormones are off, it all comes through the brain. So you need to be put on medicine because um, your brain your brain's not functioning right. And so no one really said that you could just like shake your head and then you need time to get back and get the neural pathways back. And I never really ever thought about that because 
for brain health and brain injuries, there's not like a specific time. It's not like, hey, you have to take six weeks off, just like a broken arm or a broken leg. There's no specifics. And and I think that that is what was shocking to me because even now I still, you know, have sensitive delight. Um, I still, if I don't sleep, like if I'm flying and traveling a lot, if I don't get my right amount of sleep, I can feel a little lethargic and a little, um, I wouldn't say depressed, but a little anxious when I'm traveling and it all comes from taking care of my brain. And so that has been the biggest kind of shift and comeback for me was realizing how to continue at a high, a high level sport, one of the most mental sports with the new brand I had now. That was very challenging. And, and I had to really let myself, I guess I had to be kind to myself and I had to let myself um, go through the phases so I could learn. And if I tried to bounce back fast and I didn't have the right people on my side, I still don't think I would have been back yet because of how severe the injury was. So for me, it's kind of like a bittersweet. It was the worst moments of my life, but oh my gosh, I am happier and content and stable more than I've ever been in my life before my concussion and now after my concussion as well. So I think everything happens for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, wow. So much to unpack there. So first and foremost, feeling happier and more stable now than ever. Talk to us about kind of where your mental state was before this injury. Yeah. So for me, it was, you know, everything that needs to happen is all about track and field. I needed like, you know, I would say no to certain events or I would say no to certain friends on going out certain weekends because I had to, you know, have that sacrifice and that determination to be the best, which is what most athletes do. Um, But for me, it wasn't even about saying no to those places. It was about putting myself in environments that didn't have that same goal in mind, if that makes sense. So for me, um, when I was before my concussion, I would go to events and I could juggle a lot more. I could go to events and I could go party and I could have a drink here or there. And it's not that I don't think there's, there's a bitter, bittersweet line. Like I don't think that completely going cold Turkey and excluding yourself from everything is the right thing to do. But I think it's allowed me to, to show me right now that, not putting myself in environments that help that will make me take wrong decisions has only elevated me even more and helped me more with internal I would say like spiritually mentally socially I'm a better person that's that's what I was saying before I was I was still I was third in the world before my concussion which was my best season ever in 2019 and I was living life I was happy I was content I was stable but I didn't know there was like this superior level to being even more happy, even more stable, even more financially free, like have freedom. And that was all on just like changing my environments. But the only reason I changed my environments was because of my injury. I couldn't go out as much. And I started realizing that when I started taking care of the most important organ in your body, which is your brain, like more doors were opening. It was just a really weird environmental switch, if that makes sense. I don't know if people talk about that ever, but just the things that were coming to me and even deals and sponsorships that were coming to me was way different than what I was getting 
at my best. Yeah. And it's so interesting because what I'm hearing you say is that before your injury, when you were third in the world, you felt like you could kind of have your cake and eat it too. It was like you were putting in the work and you were really working hard. I mean, you're not third in the world just by chance, right? But you were able to indulge in some of these other behaviors that now you're just not partaking in in the same way. So what would you say a holistic picture of your life looks like now? Yeah, I would say there's not like much difference other than like my circle has gotten a lot smaller. I've been able to and people don't know what part of circle and that's what circle they're in. And that's like my biggest accomplishment that I've been able to do is I have 100% circles. I have 80, I have 50 and I have 5% circles. And the five percenters feel like they're in my 100%. And that's what I've been able, I give them 5% of my happiness, 5% of my anger, 5% of my financial, 5% of my time. Um, But they feel so important that they're feel like they are part of this journey. And I've been able to work through that and develop that mentality with my neurologist in California, Dr. Daniel Amen. And that has been something I've never, like, it's like a superpower, really. So deep down, it's like, you're taking care of yourself, but you're still not hurting anyone on the outside. So that selfishness doesn't come across, but really deep down, you know, you're being selfish and taking care of yourself. And that has been the best thing I've ever done for myself. I am fascinated by this concept of the 5% circle and those people still feeling like they're in the 100% circle. So how do you only allocate 5% of your care and concern to these people, but they feel so fulfilled by your relationship? I think the number one thing is, is the, when I'm in person with them, the presentness that I feel. Um, I also am very good at remembering since I've stopped drinking since 2021 at the beginning of the year. I also remember like the most incredible things about someone when I first meet them and I'll bring up something so specific to think that that I'm constantly following their life and a part of their life. And, and I do, I do want everyone around to be great, but again, you can't, you can't divert your time and effort into every single person you meet. And I think that that's like the coolest thing for me. If I even meet a fan that's been following me and I'm like, Oh my God, I saw you in Switzerland and now you're in France with me. Like how are, and the the fact that I, I remember that and I've only been able to adapt that since I've decreased the alcohol intake and actually completely went cold turkey with it. I remember faces and, and moments, almost like um imagery a little bit. Like, you know, when you write something down, you can remember once once you wrote it down. Or to me, it's like personalities now. I remember smiles. I remember eyes and what we spoke about that day when they see me two, three months later down the road. Um, so that's that's been something I've valued. I I always remember names and I always remember something unique and special or something that they even brought to me that day and that I'll remember and I'll bring up like, you know, that day we met, you know, you've done this for me and I hope you realize you made my life better. And by them feeling that way, they feel better about themselves too. And it's not a lie. It's very much true. But again, that 5% of energy that takes five seconds or 10 seconds with them, the most important person in the world right at that point. What's the difference between your relationship with a five percenter versus a hundred (laughs) percenter? So those are different. Those are like, you know, great example, my mother, um, my best friends. Well, even I I would say in my best friends will probably kill me if they ever hear this podcast, but they're kind of on the right now at this point in my career. And they know this, they're about the 80%. And it's just because I am not, I have a different, um, 
I have a different, I guess, career than they do. You know, they are very successful in their entrepreneurial and they are just incredible people and they motivate me with their determination, but I can't spend every weekend with them. I can't build and and water that plant every single weekend because then it takes away from my track side. So the people that are in that 100% circle are the people that know exactly what to say after I have a bad competition, know who I call the first person I call. It's usually my mom and Dr. Eamon and <laughs> my best friend. Um, and those people n- kind of see um, the imperfections of me, if that makes sense. And I'm very within vulnerability around them. I'm very much myself, very, um, I never, I'm never embarrassed with my accomplishments because I know that they're not in my life because of track and field. They're in my life because they love me as the person. And that's why I give them a hundred percent. Um, because a lot of people and relationships that I've developed over the years are based off of my looks or my accomplishments. And these ones are rooted and these are from the ground, you know, and that's the difference. How did it feel to get to this place where you have a very true understanding of what your bandwidth is? Were there growing pains associated with this? For sure. I think like the growing pains are more when you are rekindled with friendships. The growing pains are like, oh, you don't text me enough or you're not around all the time or... I'm not standing in a wedding. Um, I'm not standing in one of my best friend's wedding. And those are not hurtful, but those are moments I wish I could have been a part of. But I know at the end of the day how great and invested I will be once I'm done and accomplished my goals in track, if that makes sense, because that is my goal. As soon as I retire, my number one goal is to rekindle and rebuild relationships that I've kind of put on the back burner or really have given them a little bit less energy, but they've always stuck around and supported me. Um, and that, those are the growing pains for me. It was like, gosh, I would have loved to stand next and, and see my best friend get married and be in that wedding party. But I know I couldn't have been the best wedding party for her. I probably couldn't go to the bachelorette and I probably couldn't, you know, go early to the wedding because I have training. And so those are kind of things that, um, you end up just dealing with and you support by going to the wedding and having the best time with your friends. And it's not about you that day anyway. So (laughs) I just try to not think about those kind of things because again, it's not about me and, uh, and the people that want to be a part of this journey knows, knows like, Alicia in her mind right now comes first because it takes everything for me to be at my best self. Yeah. And I'm hearing so much awareness about like this stage of life that you're in, right? You know that this is how life is now and it won't be like this forever. And you have deemed that this is a high priority for you. And so that's how you're going to move forward through the world at this moment. Exactly. You like said it better than I could. Like, it's just <laughs> these state, these stages and chapters of my lifestyle. And that's what I think even when it became financial stuff, like people want everything right now. And I, I am that, I am that person. I'll, I'll wake up and I'm like, I want to do this. Oh wait. Like even last night, my friends were at the tennis match and my polls didn't land in time. So I had to drive all the way back to Buffalo to get my polls. But I invited, I got invited by tennis Canada to go and watch all the play, players play. And I'm just like, oh, why does this happen to me? Like, I want to go. But probably was best because I got home at nine and I went to bed early. And now I feel great this morning. You know, there's like always these 
little levels. You want everything at this time, but we have to realize opportunities are constantly coming where an athlete's career is only maybe like, I, I don't know. I, my goal is to go past Paris 2024, but we'll see if my body allows me to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're talking about chapters in life, right? And we talked about the chapter of dealing with your concussion before we move into uh, talking about what comes after that recovery. I do want to home in a little bit on the difficulties that came hand in hand with not being able to perform as you knew that you once could after that injury. Talk to me about going to the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah. Oh gosh. I laugh all the time because people, we talk so much about it and it's so relatable, but it's definitely one of the worst moments of my life that I tried to tell everyone I was okay and everything was going to be all right. And, and I don't need help. I, I got this. Everything always clicks and everything always comes together. And when it didn't, and I'm standing at the Olympic games and I don't even take one jump and I don't care. That is when I knew something was wrong because it's already so hard to get to the Olympics and I didn't care if I did well or not. That's kind of when I knew I wasn't okay. And and I think that that was a rush of emotion that hit me all at once. And I just kind of went cold turkey. I slept for like six days straight in my parents' bed, didn't leave their house. And it was one of those things. I, I It wasn't like I was depressed. I was so burnt out. I was so tired. I was so tired of showing up and performing and trying to be in my absolute best, but my body not responding. And I didn't understand why. And that's when I did that um, reach out to the aiming clinics in California. And I called Dr. Amen and I said, I don't know what's going on. And this is my story. And this is what has happened. And I feel like I'm being overdramatic. And he goes, overdramatic? And he like stopped me right there. And he goes, get on the next flight to California. We're going to scan your brain. And as soon as we figured it out that there wasn't proper blood flow, there wasn't proper, um, like they, they call it neuro, neurotransmitters. So the way that your pathways of your brain goes, those were shaken. Um, there's a lot of fluid in my back, kind of where your subconscious brain is. Um, and there was also like a explosion, he calls it, in the front of my ten, temple lobe. And he goes, wow, you've been through a lot lately, huh? And just by looking at my brain, he could he could understand what was going on. And I think that that is what gave me hope that like, okay, it's not a quick and easy fix. This is going to take time. And that that's what like kept me going because there was still answers. Team Canada and our, our, our organization, Athletics Canada, they kind of were treating the symptoms rather than the actual injury. So a lot of my symptoms were I was tired. I was lack of motivation. Um, I was sad. I was emotional. I could cry on demand. And I, I just didn't want to live really. Like there was, I didn't feel like there was a purpose. And so they're like, oh, she's depressed. Here's some antidepressors. And that completely messed me up. I actually broke out in hives and had an allergic reaction to those. So when Dr. Amon called me in and we did the brain scan and we figured out everything from there and he put me on this vitamin regimen within three, four months, I felt completely better and completely different, but it, it took a while. And I think that that's what 
is so negative about our society right now. You know, we're so used to this quick fix. You know, I want a little bit bigger lips. Okay, I'll go get some lip implants. Okay, I want a skinnier waist. Well, you can get fat reduction. It can be put on your butt. You know, like it's such a quick fix instead of like making these proper, proper life decisions that's going to be like an investment in yourself to get the long term of being healthier. And that was our goal. Dr. Raymond's goal wasn't to get me back on the track. He's like, I just want you to get back to being happy human, feel like you have a purpose in life. And when he, when he said that to me, that's when I knew it wasn't a good, like a good situation. And I needed to take time away. And I did step away six months from pole vaulting, completely erase my mind from any negative that had created because even though I was at a, one of the highest levels at the Olympic Games and I didn't jump, there's trauma from that, right? Like you go to a highest Olympic game and you're, you're, you're talking to people. And I remember people saying like my conversations at the Olympics where I don't really care that I'm here. Like I developed these words and this trauma in those 16 days of being at the Olympics that were rooted in my brain as well. And that's what people underestimate on how you speak to yourself, on who you surround yourself with, on people being positive and uplifting. Um, I was being so negative that it like became my thought process. And that's what what was the hardest to change the view on, on life. Everything is half full now. You know, everything in my life is oh, oh, that's exciting. That's exciting that I got a parking ticket. I'm donating to the city. (laughs) Like that's my lifestyle now, you know? Wow. Just so many nuggets in here. First and foremost, I watched um, your sit down with Dr. Amen. And, you know, when you're talking about having the right people on your side, it's very clear that that's a relationship that happened for you. And I saw that you got emotional when you talked to him about how you felt when you couldn't see, you know, you couldn't see because there were these bright lights and people made you feel as though it would just get better. And in reality, your literal chemistry, your brain chemistry in this moment, because of what had happened to you was making it impossible to do the thing that you had so easily at one other time excelled in. So in this work with Dr. Eamon, what would you say has been one of your biggest light bulb moments? Yeah, I think the first was the lifestyle change. Um, And that's just my daily vitamins, you know, like, I get my blood taken every three months. Um, I'm on iron, I'm on probiotics, I'm on magnesium before bed. I'm on B complex, I'm on uh, vitamin D, and like a turmeric to help with my joints uh, for before and after practice. So that was huge. But what was huge about that was being consistent, then realizing just because you got your blood taken, and you were deficient, for this time, something's going to be different next time and you have to adjust. So your body does adapt and your body does hold levels. So when I got my blood taken six months from that three months, I was, I didn't need any more vitamin D. So we decreased it a little. So I think what's important is being consistent with yourself and constantly showing up for yourself. But what was like the best thing was constantly realizing you're growing and you're a different person every single day and being okay with that, but kind of making it like, cool, like what's going to happen today? You know, like what's new today? And then I invested in a hyperbaric chamber. So I take 90 minute naps every other day in the hyperbaric chamber. And that is just like, so cool because it allows me to get in this chamber. You can bring your phone, you can work, you can do whatever you wanted in there. But for me, that's my time to like be off social, be off everything and just like 
take a nap and let my brain rest with lots of oxygen in that chamber. So that was a huge thing because the vitamins help, but then we are wearing and tearing on the mental performance and mental health every single day. So you need to go another next level up. And then we did, so these are steps, right? So this was like, you know, the first six months was changing up vitamins and, and really staying on top of that. Then we added the hyperbaric chamber. Then finally, and Dr. Eamon never pressed me. And that was what was so cool about our relationship. And he's one of my best friends, like till this day was, he goes, alcohol is bad for you. I don't know why you drink it, but I understand why you have a glass every so often and you do that. And then 2022 came around and I was like, gosh, I'm so tired of being fourth and fifth. What is going to like get me to that next level? I said, why don't I just start with taking out alcohol? So I started September. Actually, I remember the last night I drank September 22nd, um, 2022 was the last time I drank. What was that night? It was crazy. I was at the weekend concert. So it was like, it was a perfect finale night. A lot of tequila shots, a lot of <laughs> athletes out and, and partying and dancing on a Thursday night, actually. But it was fun. But that next day, I committed to myself and probably a little because I kind of felt like shit in the morning as well. So when I woke up, I was like, I think I'm going to do it this season. I'm just going to go cold turkey and see. And if it doesn't work, nothing, like I don't lose anything. I'm still fourth or fifth. Like (laughs) I'm not, not getting better, not getting worse. It is what it is. And then I went and I won the indoor world tour in February. And I just was like, wow, like not that it was easy, but I, I gave myself a level up from the other girls, if that makes sense. And I'm not saying all the other girls drink, some don't, some do, but it just made me feel more, um, not only like more physically better. But like I said, I was present. I was able to have conversations that I remembered I had with them six months ago. And my friendships got stronger. My family members became closer to me because I could remember these things. And I'm not saying it's just because of the drinking, but it definitely was a huge part of that recovery and and completely feeling invincible again and getting that back that it took a long time to even feel that. And I've been working with Dr. Raymond for two years now. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question is aside from, you know, cutting out the alcohol in this timeline of recovery, Mm -hmm. when would you say you actually really started to feel like your old self when it came to hitting the runway and, and pole vaulting? I would say probably January. Like I was having practices that my coaches are so funny because they're just like, they, they see, they see me as like the best in the world. And I love that, but I would jump and they would like giggle like with each other, like, Oh my God, this looks so good. Oh my God. she's gonna be so good. <laughs> And that's kind of how I knew I was getting back to where I was in 20, 2019, but better. Like, and that, that was cool for me because I thought, and that's what a lot of people feel like, you know, you get injured, you get hurt. They, they have that saying, you take two spe- steps back to take two steps forward or whatever. But no, like within that matter, and I, I understand 2019 to 2023 is three years, four years, but really it came back a lot faster because I dedicated that time and I was consistent and to get to that level again was there, was always there. It was just from within. And that was the difference. 
And I, I love what you were kind of getting at about what's the worst thing that can happen. Like the worst thing that could happen for you was that you ended exactly where you started, right? So to make a small change and just experiment, you knew that the cost benefit analysis, like there were potentially a lot of benefits for you. But if the worst thing is just being where you started, then that's not actually all that bad. No. And that's what I think people are scared of, like not scared of like them losing fun, but maybe scared of seeing how cool and how much more potential they have with something that society is not doing because society is doing it. So why am I not doing it? And that was the huge mental shift. Like I want to be in an environment not as above society, but in an environment that they might be making the wrong decisions. And so when I'm in a, and when I'm in a room now and I'm in a party, like I feel so confident because I'm like, they're, they're not taking care of their brain health. And I am right now and I'm present and they're not going to remember tonight and I'm going to remember these memories. And so it's not about being better to like show off to people. It's about being better, like feeling better in yourself. Like, oh my gosh, I woke up, I got my workout in the next day. I had a whole day and I don't feel like shit. I'm not sad. I'm not overthinking. Like all these things stem down and it's a right now alcohol and it's cool I think Dr. Amon I was just on the phone with him yesterday and he said I think Switzerland or maybe it's Sweden Sweden or Switzerland is now putting on their alcohol labels could cause cancer and brain health problems Mm. so it's kind of cool to see that one country is kind of going in and doing that now but it's just like how back in the day cigarettes and now cigarettes are the worst thing for us Um, and we have to realize that our society is trying to make money right off of us. And, and I don't, I don't disagree on not having a good time. I love having a good time. I love twerking, going to clubs and turning up. I do. It's so much fun, but there's also so much peace and so much fulfillment in going home to a good sleep and waking up, having a full day the next day as well. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsor at Gooder. Let's face it, commonly when you think about active sunglasses, you think big dollars. Gooder changed the game with that in 2015, making affordable, stylish, and performance-focused glasses that start at just $25. Plus, They are polarized. They are perfect for everything from goodness. I wore them cycling yesterday to I grabbed the same pair of shades because they're super cute and rocked them running my errands all day. They are light and comfortable. And arguably the best part is there are, gosh, I want to say hundreds of different styles depending on your taste. My two go-tos are the VRG lately, which is a single lens style, super sleek for my morning runs. I'm also a massive fan of the Mach G, their aviator style, specifically the one called Operation Blackout. You deserve to treat yourself, heck, maybe even treat a friend. Like I said, they start at just $25 and because you're a Hurdle listener, you can get free shipping today on me. Head on over to Gooder.com, that's G-O-O-D-R.com and use the code Hurdle at checkout to get free shipping on your order today. Again, that's gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com. Use Hurdle at checkout for free shipping. 
also want to dial back a little bit to the period of time where you decided along with Dr. Amen that you were going to treat what happened to you and the root causes of some of the issues that you were dealing with rather than just put a Band-Aid on it. You mentioned the hyperbaric chamber for those that may not know basically what happens inside of a hyperbaric chamber is that the air pressure inside is raised to a level that is higher than normal air pressure and then that increased air pressure in the chamber helps the lungs collect more oxygen so through this essentially getting more oxygen to your tissues can help the body heal fight infection all the things that are really good especially if you're trying to level up your athletic performance and again heal your brain from a very real injury. Yeah. And I think that that's like our whole life. We, we talk about concussions all the time. We'll stay away from screens, um, you know, sleep and, and take your time to get back. But it's like more needs to be done with those. And then brain injuries can also come from traumas. And I didn't know that. Like, you know, having a conversation with someone that hurts your feelings, that's like little bit of trauma and people underestimate that. And that when I started realizing, like, if people are being negative, even about other people, those are little traumas in my brain that will go off and it will stick with me. And I didn't want to be around that. So that's why my environment's changed as well. Yeah. And then this goes back to your whole 5%, etc. circle method. It's so interesting to hear it described in that way, right? We can liken mm-hmm. it to when you do an interval workout and that creates those small muscular traumas, those small muscular tears, which we often give between 24 and 48 hours before working again. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine what would happen if every time you just felt a little stressed out, you yeah. took 24 to 48 hours off of that one person, that one situation, that one thing, what it could do for our, our personal betterment. It's so cool. And, and that's such a, I've never heard that perspective. Like that's huge. And one thing, I mean, I could give advice is one thing that we've done is kind of switch the mind of like, if someone's being negative. So there's sometimes like I'll be on the infield and the girls will be like, Oh, it's windy out or it's like this. I sit back and they're in the red. So their battery's in the red. But the more negative I hear from them, the more green I'm getting because I'm not, I'm not saying it. So that's kind of how you avoid it. So Dr. Eamon and I have, have figured out mentalities and, and analogies to try to avoid, to try to not just have to walk away from a person, right? Because that's kind of mean too. <laughs> so any <laughs> negative that is coming out of their mouth is coming into my ear positive though. It's windy. Oh, well, it's going to be a nice day today. Like, you know, it's windy. Oh, it's a nice brush of fresh air, you know? So the negative turn into the positive, which then you internalize and that fills your green battery up is what we do. And this takes practice and skill, right? It's not like all of a sudden one day you can decide, like, I want to filter everything from red to green for myself. You really need to take the time to learn how to adapt and adopt that mindset. It's huge. And that's the thing. It was like, I never like to take Tylenol or medication because it's like, my body's trying to tell me something. It's like, okay, if I'm feeling a little like, like the other day, for example, I had, I had flown an overnight flight, then had two days, then was flying all the way back to Memphis and then jumped, but it was like 103 Fahrenheit. So 36 Celsius. And then I flew again the next morning at 4am and I hadn't had sleep. And when I landed, I was like, I don't, I don't want to pole vault right now. 
And I was like, whoa, 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 what's happening? And I called Dr. Raymond. That's why I called him. I said, I'm feeling like I don't have a purpose right now. He goes, well, I obviously knows my schedule. He goes, well, I've seen you gone to six different time zones in the last four weeks. How about you try a 12 hour sleep tonight and then get back to me tomorrow? And again, I woke up this morning, completely different mindset. And that's why when you're at your, when you're at, that's why they talk about when you're intoxicated, you're not making the right decisions. Same with when you're fatigued, when you're burnt out at the end of the work week, you're like, Oh, I need to celebrate and go get a drink. No, you should go and celebrate and take a nice nap. Then maybe go out and socialize, you know, (laughs) celebrate with that nap. (laughs) I appreciate what you're saying though, about these different mindsets. And I know that one of the mindsets that you personally adopt when you are out there, you call your superhero state. Talk to me a little bit about what that means for you. Yeah, I think, well, again, pole vault is not your normal on the ground, you know, staying on the ground, you're you're really catapulting yourself to higher heights and defining gravity, which takes a little bit of imagination. And so for me, I needed to find like just the same thing when I put certain makeup on for that day. It's like my war paint, like I'm coming out of this time to battle and, and a superhero is, 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 um, in selfish, So it's powerful and people look up to it, but you're there to protect others. Well, the protection for me in that analogy is to inspire others. So I I put on this armor and it ends up not being about me. It's about, you know, going to world championships. It's not about me jumping high and breaking the Canadian record and bringing home a medal about my career. It's about representing the country at my best ability and being proud to be Canadian and wearing that armor Um, and that superhero feel. So that's, that to me is a mentality I have to bring myself to, because if I don't, then it just feels like an every other day, if that makes sense. And in practice, those are just kind of normal days because we're working on cues that I, I want to adapt that will be consistent in practice that will transfer over into the competition. And I just feel like when you see a superhero, you just are like, whoa, or there's something that's going to happen, or you're on the edge of your seat. So that anticipation allows people to forget what's going on in their life. And I know, and I know life isn't easy and life's not hard and you have to really work on your happiness and your inner self and your purpose in life. And so if I can take that anticipation to them for two hours in their week when I'm competing worldwide, then that is a fulfillment for me to be one of the best pole vaulters of all time. It also sounds like through going into this superhero mind state, so to speak, you're really allowed to focus on what is instead of worrying about what isn't. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's the best part is like, <laughs> what is, what isn't you could you could go back and forth all day, but what is so cool is you're just present and you're here and you're, you're raising the bar as high as you can for entertainment to please people around as well. And I think that that's really cool. Now that entertainment value and how you show up has certainly ebbed and flowed over the last three, four years, especially with the pandemic. These days, do you feel as though track and field, your sport, it's finally back to this perception, this place that we were pre-pandemic? I think track and field has always been overlooked pre post pandemic, but definitely when it was in the pandemic, you could definitely see this 
drop off. And I do feel like we're getting back to where it was before. I think, you know, I just got back from London, UK in July. So July 25th, I think I got back and it was a 50,000 attendance sold out stadium. And that is huge for us because when you go to countries like that and they support track and field to that elite level, you're elevated. You're like, okay, it's time to put on a show. You know, 50,000 people are here to watch me. And I do feel like we are actually going to get better because I do feel like little movements in women's sport is slowly getting better as well. And I think that that's so cool that we're able to showcase in front of so many people. But track and field will always be considered an amateur sport. And that is some people's biggest issue with it. You know, it's doesn't get, you don't get paid that type of money to be at that level, you know, but again, you have to realize a lot of us wish we could get paid what the 1% of amateur sports do, but not everyone's going to get paid like that. And I would still do pole vault with or without an income. I wouldn't do pole vault if I wasn't at the best competitions. That's for sure. I think that that's just my pride and probably a little ego in me just because I've seen it at a high level. Um, But I definitely feel that track will always be the it sport of the Olympics. And you can't make a sport every four years if you want it to be the best sport in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it means that there needs to be more dollars that not only go into supporting track and field, but then also supporting women in track and field and supporting uh, the visibility, especially when you get to, you know, the different modalities that are happening in the center of the track, right? It feels like there's less and less awareness about that. Now, I don't always love to jump back and forth like this, but I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't at least give the hurdlers a little bit of insight into how you started pole vaulting, because it goes without saying, it's not like the most jazzy, dazzling sport option that there is. Yeah, no, I know. And that that's so funny because I still to this day, like I talked to uh, Nia Ali and I'm like, listen, I'm ready to come hurdle with you, girl, like whenever. And she just laughs like, Alicia, you're so good at pole vault. Just stick to pole vault. But that's literally <laughs> how my career started. I started as a hurdler um, after a gymnastics injury and and I loved it. But to me, it was like, I don't know, like even gymnastics, you know, you put in, I was training about like 28 to 32 hours a week, depending on that level. And there was four events. So you were able to kind of like be out on the floor for four, five hours, right? And you can showcase your different strength on beam, bars, vaults, or floor. When I went to track, I tried all the events and it was fun because it was taking up my time, but then I wasn't the best at every event. I was really good at hurdles and really good at pole vault. And so I loved hurdles. I loved that it wasn't just a straightaway run as fast as you can. I love that there was obstacles in between, but then I didn't like that you were only on the runway for 12 seconds. Like I'm like, I train all this time to run 12 seconds and fly across the world to run 12 seconds and do all this for 12 seconds. Like pole vault really gave me this time to showcase and jump and be in it and, and have this like this, this fun atmosphere where you get to socialize with the girls. And and that's kind of one of my favorite part. I know the sprinters are a little more like, 
intense when they get to the line and then a lot of them probably don't hang out after um and for us pole vaulters we're stuck with each other for four hours on the infield so we get to talk to them about you know life family some have babies you know we talk about stuff and you become very connected and it becomes like a family to you and I think that that is why pole vault became such a a dominant but hurdles I go watch it every single olympics I watch Nia all the time. I'm like her biggest fan and I have the best time. The the pure grace, like it's no surprise to me that you have a background as a 10-year professional gymnast because you look at like the grace and skill that you have in the air when you're doing this, what looks like superhuman task. And it is absolutely stunning. And also of note, in your first 90 days of pole vaulting, at the first meet you ever went to, you broke the meet record. So you were kind of destined for greatness from the moment that you began. Yeah. And I, I laughed because I tell my mom, I was like, mom, you couldn't have just like put me in a, in a sport, A, that made a lot more money for females and B, that kept me on the ground. She goes, well, I didn't know you just were so fast. So I just put you in track. <laughs> you brought up money a few times now. So I just want to ask you a question on that. I I know that you're a Nike sponsored athlete. You also have some other partnerships and sponsorship deals. And at one point you even dipped into OnlyFans. How has OnlyFans been for you? And how do you feel about the stigma that surrounds other content on the platform? Yeah, I think, you know, it was one of those things like I, I, a, I am so proud to be a Nike athlete. I have a picture of when I think it was in my eight-year-old birthday and I'm like mom I want a Nike cake because I'm gonna be a Nike athlete one day so <laughs> I have this really cute picture of a Nike cake and with all my friends standing around um so I knew I wanted to be obviously one of the best athletes of all time and get a sponsorship and I wanted my career to be more more than just about your performance I wanted it to be about interaction with people and elevating people to be at their best potential in life like that to me is like priceless like changing someone's life you can't pay somebody a hundred million dollars and then completely change your life unless unless you're consistent about it and I think that that was something I wanted to impact and knew that I was never going to get paid for it but then I have this other side of me that is an entrepreneurial and I do love a little bit. I want to say drama, but I, I like a pizzazz. I like to be different than everyone else. And I wanted to be a part of the OnlyFans community because of what type of brand I have had developed. But I wanted to be compensated for it because I felt like my lifestyle was so cool to a point that I wanted to bring people around that were that that were track fans that will never get an experience like I could. And I just felt like that was always unfair that like just because I'm an Olympic athlete, no one could ever see what the Olympic Village looked like because they'll never be an Olympian. So my thought was I obviously knew like I didn't have the best um, lead up to Tokyo 2021. And I wanted to somehow monetize myself and my career that year on giving back to people. And this was, this is when I go in selfish because I, I knew like I couldn't really get a medal. Like, so how can I still bring Pazam through myself and some spark and to make it give, give myself attention. And so I said, well, COVID hit, there's no attendance to the Olympics. No one's allowed to come. How can I bring my fans to the Olympics? And that's when my agents and I, we talked about, why don't you launch an OnlyFans for 16 days? And I was so like, I don't know, like the bad rap, like, you know, that's kind of where 
the um, adult entertainment went because everything was closed and that's where it became like a huge thing. And I said, I don't want to be associated, not because I'm embarrassed of them, but because I don't want th- people to think like I'm a part of anything that's X-rated, right? And so they're like, well, there's bittersweet. If you can have thick skin and you can be a part of it, you'd be the first Olympian to do it. And I think it'd be pretty successful, um, not just by getting your brand up by getting noise about the Olympics and then an income on top of that. And so I said, I sat down for a couple of like weeks with them. I I talked to my parents, I talked to my siblings, I talked to everyone. And they're like, I don't know why you wouldn't like, because my sisters and, and, or my sister and my brothers, they'll watch me online. And the number one things like reporters would say is like, talk about our looks, talk about what we're wearing, talk about our eyes, talk about our hair. And what, what is that? And it's like, people already do it. The people already sexualize women in sport because of the outfits we wear. And I said, so that's not going to be any different. So I said, fine, you know what, let's do it. Let's see how it goes. It went so well, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still on it now. And I don't, I don't need to promote it because I have a huge following on it. I do so well on it. But what has made me so excited about it is I've never had to go into that adult entertainment x-rated but it's to a point for me it's like I am so happy I did it because I've now monetized myself in a way that I can control all the outcome of it like I've sold some workouts like I've, I've written workout programs for people on there they pay for them and to me that I can do that and, and get you know that income for my time has been way more beneficial for me and the most incredible thing I've done in my career. And again, I don't really care what people say about me. I've never been that person because I don't understand why people get all worked up on people they don't even know saying stuff. It's like, how can you take that personal? If my mom were to say something that was different and that's why I went to my family at first and when they didn't care and they didn't, they said, we're okay. My dad's like, girl, you should, you should monetize as much as you can. And we did. And we had limits and that those were our limits. And I am completely proud and would do it all over again. And almost I wish I would have done it sooner. <laughs> it was You have something like 35,000 people that subscribe to your OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts at about $20 a month. So that's a little side entrepreneur, if you yeah. will. And that's the thing. It was like, I, I wanted more than I have. I do. I have this lifestyle that I want to live. And it's, it's definitely not going to be off of a amateur athlete's income. And, you know, and that's, that's just the life it it is. And that's what I want. So I decided to be, I think I was one of the second or third Olympians to launch that. And um, it went really well. And I still have it to this day. And I'll definitely do another round and even better for Paris. I think Paris for my followers and fans, they're going to be excited because I'm going to wear a camera on my shirt every day. And then editors are going to edit and post it up for them. Um, so that, that. It's what it is like during COVID and what it was like now with outside of a pandemic. Very different vibe. Mm-hmm. Right now, as someone goes to your Instagram page, they see a two-time Olympic pole vaulter with so- something like almost 600,000 followers. When you look in the mirror, Alicia, what is it that you see looking back at you? Um, I am so like, I love turning the impossible to possibilities. I don't do well with people that say no or don't agree with being better 
I have a very low, like they could say like a small amount of energy for those type of people. Um, and I think that that is what I'm most proud of who I've become. I literally never give up. And the things there's been one, one thing in my life that I've given up on and it was a must because it was unhealthy for me and him. And I think that that to this day doesn't eat at me, but it just was like, I couldn't help or I couldn't fix. And I think that that's what I'm so thankful for. Like I will go to the ends of earth, especially if I love you to make an environment healthy and happy and to uplift people because I think we need more of that. And it's not about money. It's not about, um, looks and, and, um, and what you have materials. It's about the energy you can give to somebody that just maybe will make their heart a little bit happier that day. And that's the type of energy I hope I can give to everyone that meets or comes across my path. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say when it comes to the situation that you had to quote unquote give up on is that you just chose yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true because if you sit there and you do analyze an unhealthy and abusive relationship, you, I think you're in it because you, you want to keep building and developing and getting better. But then there's a point where it's just you, like you said, you have to choose yourself. And I'm so lucky I did. Like, I know so many friends of mine that are in that right now. And if there's any wisdom is like, I always say people like nothing venture, nothing game, try to take space away from it and see if your life does get better or not. And for me, I couldn't see it until like five, six months later. And I'm so fortunate because now it's so, it may be a little funny because I actually feel more powerful single than I do in a relationship. And I think that you need to get to that point in your life so that you can then be the best mother, the best friend, the best daughter, the best sibling, you know, and the best girlfriend and wife. Um, And I'm very fortunate for that experience because I don't think I'd be as strong as I am today without it as well. Firstly, yell it from the rooftops. I feel more powerful single than I do feel in a relationship. I'm sure there are a lot of people that need to hear that (laughs) listening to this right now. And this really just expands upon the through line here. You talked about how difficult and saddening and frustrating and dark it felt to go through the hurdle of navigating that concussion. Likewise here, going through what was at times, as you articulated, a somewhat emotionally abusive relationship, both of those things so awful in their own right. But on the other side now, you can see the beauty in what were these really difficult moments. Yeah. And I think that you don't, you don't build that character without failure or negativity or realizing you don't like you're not okay like if you were good all the time like you would you would not be living like these emotions and these these obstacles allow you to feel like a human and I think we underestimate that like being not okay is like so beautiful like knowing that the spot you're in in your life you don't want to be here is awesome because now you know you don't want to be in this situation. So let's fucking move forward and let's try to make myself feel better. What uh, what excites you right now, Alicia? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm really excited because I've gotten on the phone with a couple of, well, a world championships, huge coming forward. I'm super huge. excited. 
But as a lot of people, we don't talk, we try not to overthink pole vault. But off the track, I've been looking into private lending. So I would love to open up my own private lending, be a little corporation that I could help out, whether it's other athletes, because I mean, if you don't, if you're not in amateur sports, you know how hard it is to qualify for a mortgage, how hard it is to get off your feet, because your income is so sporadic, you don't have in Canada, we don't have like that T4, you know, um, that you're getting biweekly or weekly. So if I could do some private lending and, and work with athletes to help them get a mortgage and get off, that's kind of like, what I'm really excited. I've been learning a lot about that the last month and doing a couple phone calls with a couple companies about starting that. So hopefully after Worlds, I can get that up and going as well. Wow. Love this entrepreneurial side of you. Thank you. <laughs> it's like my <laughs> like- sets up call with Alicia for next week to talk about money. Okay. <laughs> amazing. Uh, no, I'm just like so jazzed by you and so excited for you. And truly it feels, uh, really inspiring. I'm inspired to hear you talk about your both enthusiasm for sport and for everything else in life, knowing that uh, the journey hasn't been easy. And I think it's so important to talk about that because a lot of people lose sight of the fact that um, quote unquote overnight success isn't overnight at all. Oh, not at all. And I think like the longer you're in it and you put more in it, the less you'll give up. So if you're investing in yourself every day, you put some time, you put that money in, then you can go back and be like, no, I still don't feel good. It's been two months, but I put in all this time and effort. Why am I giving up? And like, I think that that's huge because again, I didn't start feeling good for my concussion until three, four months after getting on the right regimen. And there's time mm. to give up, but that is, I always say that too. And that's why I never retired after Tokyo. You never make a decision, a huge and drastic decision at your lowest. Never. Like that is the number one rule I live by. So whether I'm tired and I'm like, I don't want to do anything, I kind of do opposite because I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, don't make a drastic decision, you know, Um, and that's huge for me. And it's helped me actually listen to my gut more than my heart or emotions, Does that make sense got to follow your gut. Well, that's an amazing piece of advice. I'm going to ask you for one more. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice going through that really difficult hurdle moment, wondering if maybe it was the end of the road for you and your pole vaulting career Mm -hmm. after that concussion. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you offer yourself going through that hurdle moment? I think the biggest hurdle moment obviously was that concussion. And for me, like I, I wish I was more kind to myself. I wish I allowed myself for imperfection and go through the imperfection phase. I wish I allowed myself to feel negative and be okay with the negativity. And that was huge for me once I realized and was on the other side was like, yeah, it didn't feel good, but I wish I would have said it's okay because this is where you're at and just know that there will be a better ending as long as you're putting that time and that effort in. Meet yourself with where you're at. I am so happy that we were able to do this, Alicia. For those of the hurdlers that don't follow you just yet, how do they follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me the details. Deets, probably social, because I we answer quite a bit of people on social. So if anyone has questions, just at Alicia Newman on Instagram, and then all my other links are connected under there. Beautiful. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.